Welcome everyone. There is big news today. And that news is that football is free. Free from the monopoly of UEFA, free to pursue the best ideas without fear of sanctions. And under our proposal, free viewing of all live matches. And welcome to the Sound of Football podcast. I'm Graham Sibley, and as ever, I'm joined by Jan Bilton. Hello. And Terry DeFellon. Hello. Back from our winter break. Back from our winter break, just in time for the Premier League to go on their winter break. Their sort of split winter break. I think they haven't done it since lockdown, have they? But uh, they've just decided to do this whole split weekend thing, just so Sky have got something to put on at the weekend. There isn't darts. Of course, you know, that's the big thing now. That's the new shiny thing. Uh, get lost, football. We've got darts now. Darts is going to be what's going to save us all. Darts is brilliant now. Yeah, you see, it yes. wasn't. Yes. It wasn't. About two weeks ago, it was rubbish. But now, <laughs> now, I, now darts is amazing. Uh, I love it. You miss this, Terry. Jan is now Mr. Darts. And he's lobbing hard for us to become the sound of darts. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm kind of on board with that. I, but as you know, Graham, I was an avid darts fan. Of course, about, yes. I think it kind of coincided with, believe it or not, I used to hate his guts, but when Phil Taylor retired, I kind of lost interest because it's all about characters, Graham. It's all about it the is. characters. It is. And I kind of drifted away from darts, but I was a rabid for a while, a rabid darts fan. Me and the missus used to go and watch the darts. I've been to the Ali Pali, you know, I've been to the Winter Gardens. It's a fantastic thing. Uh, but I got back into it for this one, because, and all because of the boy, because of the boy Littler. The boy, not, not really a boy. He's a boy. He's literally a boy. I know he doesn't look like one. <laughs> he looks like a man, but he acts like a boy. Like the goddess Athena, I think he just sprung forth from the forehead of Phil the Power Taylor, I think, fully formed. <laughs> It is alarming how he's got, he just like, I mean, is it, it's possibly because we're all, I realise this isn't a dance podcast, but it's, possi- <laughs> it's possible that we're all, we're all so desperate for Taylor to return that we see him and go, this is it. He is returned. He's he is returned at Christmas as well. Fantastic. It's a Christmas miracle, guys. Yes. But the guy who beat, he beat him, who beat him in the final, just to say, and this needs to be said, like Luke Humphreys, man alive, that was one of the great comebacks. Oh, yeah. In World Darts Finals, that was. I mean, that was Van Barneveld versus Taylor levels, and that was Taylor versus Painter levels. Legendary stuff. And I know a lot of people talking about Littler, but my God, Luke Humphreys, one for the ages, that was. Yeah. Has to be said out loud. Mm. Well, there you go, listeners. There's a pilot for our darts podcast. And, uh, just to give you a little, little, little taster there. Of, uh, I think it went well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Our well. new project for It's not bad for our first time out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, we're, not, we're going to talk about football. And it's, well, we haven't talked about football for well, what feels like a month. It? But it was only about three weeks ago when we did our Christmas podcast. When we did our 24 things to talk about in the new year. And one thing we didn't mention in there was the European Super League because, you know, we thought that was all done and dusted. And then while I was putting it all together and getting ready to push it out, 
<sighs> then the court comes up. Oh, no, the courts. The courts. The bloody courts. You'd think they're all shut. Those lawyers, they don't work in December. And no, 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 not the European ones. No. They come up and say, oh, yeah, actually, the European Super League, oh, yeah, you were wrong to actually like punish them because they should be free to. Oh, yeah. And of course, that made a load of rumpus and, and uh, sport everyone's Christmas, didn't it? Um, but yeah, well, we, that's what we're going to be talking about this week. And I'm sure you can't wait for us to talk about a story that was kicking around three weeks ago. But, but <laughs> hey, we don't care. We're going to do it anyway. But we have to start off on quite a sad note because this past week has seen the death of two greats. Yeah, 2024 hasn't started too well as far as that's concerned. It started with the news that uh, legendary Brazil coach and player uh, Mario Zagallo died at the age of 92. But today, just before we hit record on this podcast, we found out that Franz Beckenbauer has died. I don't think it's really any exaggeration to say that there is no one who's had more influence on German football than Franz Beckenbauer and consequently on world football over the last 50 years. It's almost impossible to find a bigger name. Any name that you can come up with, whether it be a player or a coach or, or an administrator, has not done what he has done in all of those fields. Terry, his legacy is going to be huge, isn't it? Part of his legacy was already in place as a player. If nothing else, he, he helped to better define the role of the libero, of the sweeper, um, which is a, a role that wasn't, it was being used in, in German football at the time, but not to the same level of finesse that Beckenbauer used it. It's rare back then, uh, and I guess it probably is still rare, to, to have a naturally talented footballer, a player of such amazing sort of poise and grace and ability to take on a defensive role. But of course, as we know, he was a fairly prodigious goal scorer as well. Uh, and, and he completely redefined the role and blocked out a generation worth of decent <laughs> liberos from ever coming anywhere near the, the German national team. And of course, had tremendous success for both Bayern Munich and for Germany um, in that role. Germany was gripped by libero fever, I would say, well into the early 1990s, when everyone else had kind of, like in England, we had, we went, we went with the sweeper for a while, you know, it, but it never really, in Germany, you know, every team in Germany had a sweeper. It, you, you just had to. And that's, a lot of that, I think, is, is down to Beckenbauer. And yeah, of course, you know, a great manager and, and then went on to become an administrator as well. And not just on an international level, but as you say, on, at club level as well, when he was de Kaiser, wasn't he? That's how much power and influence he had on the game. You've got to look at the way that he took that team in 1990 to win the World Cup. I think that's what most people ever think of our age. That's probably the biggest memory of him. Almost single-handedly getting Gaza that booking uh, was probably what most England fans <laughs> will remember him for. Obviously, he went on to be the head honcho at Bayern and his influence on on the game in Germany. He was the main reason that Bayern have dominated for so long. He helped cement Bayern's dominance in those formative years of Bayern Munich as a force in the, 19, the late 60s and the 1970s by being the player that he was. From an administrative point of view, yeah, he, because he'd gone through that period and before we just dwell on that international success as well, Graham, it's worth remembering yeah, he was one of the leaders of the 74 World Cup yeah. winning team uh, where the coach kind of went to pieces, quite well known, kind of went to be after the East Germany defeat. 
and he took on a massive leadership role there. So he is the, the term De Kaiser is entirely appropriate for Beckenbauer. Obviously, with Bayern Munich, you've got to look a lot at Uli Hernes and and the contribution that that he made to to that club to make them where they are. But between him, Karl Heinz Rummenigge, and Franz Beckenbauer, that kind of unholy trinity um, contributed to making. Bayern Munich, you know, I think the force that it is, it's impossible to say whether or not it would have been different, but uh, if it not been for him, but it certainly helps when you've got a national hero, both as a player and a coach on your club, on your staff, working for your club, advocating for your club, then you're in a very, very strong position. And all the indications are that he was, you know, he was obviously a very, very smart guy, an intelligent man, a great communicator, not just a great footballer, but you don't be a good coach without being able to communicate with people and motivate people and to lead. And he was able to take that into his administrative life. There's caveats about his conduct and behaviour and financial behaviour as well that are well documented. I don't feel they're too appropriate to go into too much now because the man has recently passed. Nevertheless, they did happen. So, you know, towards the end of his life and end of his career, it was somewhat checkered. But I don't believe that there is a there'll be very few people in Germany, I think, who won't be enduring some kind of mourning. It wasn't universally popular because he was a Bayern guy. Bayern not a university liked club. I think for the overwhelming majority of, of Germans, this is a sad day and a day of, of great note. Since Gert Miller died, I think this is this is a, a you know of that magnitude, if not more. Mm. Yes. Well, Franz Beckenbauer died at the age of seventy-eight. Uh, as I said earlier, we are going to be talking about the fallout from the decision that was made at the end of last year about the fact that the European Super League, which everyone thought was dead. We didn't. Everyone thought it was dead. It was dead. It was never going to happen because UEFA had won. UEFA and FIFA had won. They'd got their victory, the righteous victory against those evil, evil money-grabbing clubs. Uh, but apparently they didn't. Apparently they used legal chicanery. Yeah, those lawyers, those sleazy, sleazy lawyers had found a way to, to make those clubs even richer. Ugh. Jan, it was such a surprise. And just before Christmas, how dare they announce something like ruin everyone's Christmas like that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it does give something to talk about, even though it's three weeks later. <laughs> but I, I was I was surprised by I, I wasn't aware that there was any kind of appeal, the result of which was due to be delivered. Um, so, yeah, it did come out of, uh, of left field. But what was surprising is how complete the revamp proposition was in such short order. I mean, literally within hours, and I'm, that's not even an exaggeration. That that's just counting. So the the A22 group, which is not just a road, had a, a fully set up uh, website with their amended proposition in place, uh, ready to rock and roll, um, and to and to dazzle us as football watchers uh, within within short order. So it seems like they've addressed some of the concerns that fans had. Um, initially when the whole project was announced a couple of years ago, in that there's no permanent members. So their promotion and relegation happens between the three tiers that they've announced. And you can only get into it if you've done well domestically. I think there's a caveat to that, which we'll probably need to explore. But certainly that's been addressed. And the the idea of it being all about money, which it still is, but for fans, 
it's actually going to be cheaper because it'll be free using their, um, I think it's called Unify platform, uh, which is ad-supported, but will allow you to watch all of the European games for free on your on your phone or, or whatever medium you might choose. And, and as well as that, they've expanded the, the number of matches that are going to be played for the participants um, from eight in the current competitions to 14, which is obviously going to have an impact on, on players as well. So it feels like they've tried to examine the negatives that were raised by fans and journalists and, and podcasters as well uh, and, and try to ad- address those. But you still can't get away from the fact that I think it still really is a closed shop in all but name because if you're in the top tier, which is the star tier, followed by gold and blue, wonderfully, yeah. I mean, everything else, everything about the announcement was slick, wasn't it? Even, <laughs> even given it was the two-hour time frame. But they clearly didn't put a lot of thought into the naming of those leagues, did they? I mean, they could have just gone with one, two, and three, you know. But there, but there you go. Star, blue, and gold it is. But if you're in the Star League, which sounds like something out of Candy Crush, doesn't it? But if you're in the Star League, you may have got there because of merit, but it's going to take you a while to drop out of the whole tiered structure. So, no, it's not a closed shop, but you could be doing quite badly domestically, couldn't you, and still be playing European football, which is kind of against what it should be all about, really. So, yeah. Well well done, boys. Came up with that very, very quickly. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to pride myself that I can get stuff out quite quickly. But they really, really did come out the blocks really quickly. I mean, just to have the, the their focus group must have been about ten minutes long, really, before they could actually like start. Came right, okay, right, quick, let's throw some ideas together. Quick, get some post-it notes up on the wall, and um, because we've got two hours to get this out, and and really, it, it's weird because this looked really slick and professional and prepared, and last time looked like they really had just just chucked it together in two hours, didn't it? Really, it was, do you remember that logo? Remember the the ESL logo? go back then ah terry it, it all sounds great and free football i mean that's gonna be great isn't it of off their very swanky new downloadable tv channels and oh I, I can't wait for their streaming service to kick in free free ad supported it's gonna be great isn't it yeah free ad supported uh streaming television it's the future of internet television uh disclaimer one of my jobs is working in free ads for streaming television. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I am an advocate of um, more federations thinking along those terms and starting to give away their TV stuff for free and doing it the old-fashioned way through advertising. But that does not in any way suggest that I'm any, um, advocating this particular caper. I assume we're kind of joshing about a turnaround. I'm assuming that they knew that this was coming out and that they were pretty confident that they were going to win. <laughs> but, <laughs> And had it all, and had it already. Otherwise, otherwise, it is an amazing piece of comms work, and I am super, super jealous. I'm sure you are too, Graham. I am. We couldn't have done that. No. Yeah, that idea of making it free, I think, is just a nice little sweetener to try and get fans on side by suggesting that that it will be free. Um, but I think, if anything, it'll only put rival broadcasters' noses even more out of joint if they think that you guys, these guys are going to go it alone and they're not going to partner up with existing broadcasters, which I think will upset them. And I don't think ultimately that the kids are going to buy it. And even more so, I don't think the clubs that have previously walked back from it are going to suddenly turn around and change well because they're going to deal with the blowback from that. I would suggest to you that although, you know, it's the one that everyone's talking about, that if there is going to be a European Super League, it's going to be not this. It'll be another version from another company, I don't know, A23 perhaps, which is also a fine road, by the way. It's an excellent road. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, yeah. I mean, it depends where you want to go, whether you want to go to Brighton or do you want to go to Eastbourne. Yeah, this caper, it's a lot different to the last announcement, which was pretty much a fate of conflict. They haven't even mentioned the names of clubs in this yet. But it's obviously done by the people who were behind the last one. Is this one that people should be more scared of? Or will it, as soon as it, it starts moving in that direction, do you think that the powers that sorted it out last time will manage to sort it out this time as well? Well, I think they'll throw obstacles in their way wherever they can. I mean, at the moment, there's only two, possibly three clubs involved in this, Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus seem to be sniffing yeah. around it as they always are. So that's not enough to fill up your three leagues uh, when you need um, 64 clubs, I think is what they're, they're proposing. I think that given the European Court of Justice's, the, the fact that they've taken a view on it, I think that that will probably get a lot of clubs to start thinking about this more seriously again. Um, whether they'll do anything about it in the short term, I don't know. I think they'll probably want to wait and see you know, how this works itself out in, in terms of fans thinking, because... Remember, a lot of these clubs were ready to rock and roll with this um, until the fans, you know, the, which it doesn't really happen a lot in Britain, it, but a huge amount of protest, which brought it down um, within a few days. Um, so I think they've done everything they can, as Terry said, to sweeten the fans on this, giving them free TV, telling them that it's it's not a closed shop. Um, and they've also promised to double the current payout in, in solidarity payments to grassroots level across the continent as well. So they're doing everything they can to come across as something that fans can easily digest. So I think any club would keep their options open on that front because clearly having a, a Super League that's organised by the clubs is going to has the potential to generate more revenue for them. There's going to be more games, so that just on its own is going to generate more revenue. Um, so I don't think this is dead. I think that any executive in any club would be definitely keeping their options open and seeing how this is going to work out and at least be having a plan in place, a bit like A22 did, ready to rock and roll if clubs decide they're going to join with uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona. Hmm. Terry, I think it's obvious who the winners of this would be, or it seems to be obvious because it's the names that Jan has just mentioned. If they didn't think they were going to be winners, they wouldn't be suggesting it. But who are likely to be the big losers of this, do you think? Well, uh, conceivably UEFA, um, but I would suggest that the judgment says that UEFA were wrong to just simply say you can't form your own competitions without our approval. I think actually when it comes down to it, I think the reality is is that it's still going to be very difficult to form competitions if, FIFA, if UEFA and FIFA don't want you to. But the criteria, I suspect, will probably be looser somewhat and it will be more straightforward to be able to do something like this. I think that's my reading of the judgment. So I don't think it necessarily does what Fiorentina Perez uh, wants it to do, for example. But I think it brings it closer. Uh, I think conceivably um, you've got to look at the main high profile abstainers from the original proposal, which were PSG, because they're owner is strongly linked with UEFA and Bayern Munich who knew that they'd probably all be out of the job if they went for something like this because the fans would just kick them out of the next meeting. Um, I'm not suggesting that there will not be another European another European Super League or, or, or that there will not be a European Super League but I don't I feel that this one I think is unlikely to succeed simply because it's the one that started all the fuss in the first place 
And I think that they'll just have so much bad will and there'll be so much bad faith, it won't pick up. Now, I'm also certain that as we speak, A22 executives will be phoning clubs, will be faxing clubs because they use faxes, you know, um, will be contacting them and asking them about whether or not they want to have chats. Let's have some calls. Let's try and get something done. Uh, how do you feel about it? and trying to get some momentum? And if that happens, then we may well see this particular version of, of the European Super League come along. But I'm deeply sceptical. You can't do anything unless you've got PSG and Bayern Munich. It's not a European Super League, particularly if you haven't got Bayern Munich. But certainly with PSG as well, just simply because of the financial and political clout that they have. So I'd be really surprised if, if it happens. It's not a Super League without Bayern Munich. It just isn't. I'm just still think that there's an awful lot of way to go. And and for what it's worth, I suspect that the free TV stuff, that'll change by the time it comes to launch. Yeah, all these shiny baubles, isn't it? Um, you mentioned this earlier, Terry, about the existing broadcasters and about their reaction. And they were very bullish, while well, Sky was extremely bullish about the original proposals, allowing Gary Neville to stand up and deliver um, his diatribe to camera and that wasn't just accidental that didn't just happen that wasn't a spontaneous thing that was an editorial from the sky to say look mm. you can't do this it was that as much as anything that galvanized fan action as much as it did it certainly gave voice to everyone's discomfort with the whole caper and now with this one this because it doesn't have names attached to it there's less to throw well, you don't know where you're throwing your cabbages apart from this body called A22 and a guy called Bernd Reichart. I hadn't really heard of him until this whole thing kicked off. He's obviously there just to be an Aunt Sally for everyone to point out and say you're evil, but that's what administrators are there for. That's what Bull FIFA guy's there for. Uh, and of course, Bull FIFA guy is being busy creating his own club competitions as well because the next Club World Cup is going to be here summer next year it's going to have 32 teams in and uh, all of which were going to be handsomely rewarded for taking part in a summer tournament of football clubs a world cup of clubs a proper world cup of clubs so it's all these sort of things that there's just so many vested interests after basically our money be it through advertising revenue or subscription revenue um and you wonder Where's this all going? You can't pull all these strands in the same direction. Not everyone's going to be happy. And so there are going to be losers. There are going to be big, big losers. And whether or not that's like the major leagues in Europe or whether that's someone like UEFA, I think out of a lot of them, UEFA is the body that's most at risk at the moment. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, certainly with the European Super League. And the Club World Cup is, is an interesting one for me because as I, I read an article on that earlier today, and actually, I've, I found that a bit more compelling and a bit more interesting than the European Super League, even even though it's kind of the same sort of thing. Really, it's just another club competition. I suppose this is not going to be at the expense of existing uh, European competitions, but it is interesting. And the fact that the Club World Cup, as it you know, in its in its form, it's struggled along with over the last few years has been you know no, no one really cares about it, do they? Really? But this is a, a proper tournament with 32 teams in it um and you know it's not taking the place of, of existing competitions probably just taking the place of, of friendly games that were going to be played anyway i know the players union have had some words to say about this because they obviously they're concerned about their members and obviously you know it, it, the, the more games you play the more pressure you put on the on the, the human body and there's more chance of, of injury and fatigue and things like that but 
I mean, maybe we can talk about that a bit more, but in my view, you, they're going to be playing games across the summer anyway. And it's another seven games across the summer, assuming you get all the way through. Um, so I, I think there's an argument to say that it, it's not as bad in terms of player workload as, as other people might think. But it would be good to see teams from Europe playing against teams from South America and, and elsewhere in the world in a competition that, that really means something. So um, that's why I found it a bit more compelling. Yeah. It sounds better. The Club World Cup as it is at the moment is really just yet another Super Cup, isn't it, really? It's just another community shield. Another thing that people think, well, you can't really count it. You only had to win one game, didn't you? So, yeah, at least this one has the makings of it. And I suppose, really, you're right, Yanni. This is something you have to qualify for. You can't just walk into it and you can't stay in it if you don't go on and do well in other competitions, especially in club competitions. So there is something to say, well, this is the old way. This is a traditional way of operating a international club competition. It's just whether or not it's necessary or not to have it. But I think you're right. I mean, it, it does have some kind of benefit in the fact that it's relatively new. It's different. It's something we don't often see. As opposed to what they're doing with the Champions League, the constant changes they're making to the Champions League. And this year, as we discussed on the first door of the advent calendar, with the, the Swiss model that they're going to be coming out with this year, which if A22 have their way, you're not going to see for very long because the Champions League will be gone and this will be in its place. So what do you think about all these ideas? Just going back to that Super League model, really that if you want to try and get something like this to succeed from the ground is to get a broadcast partner on board. And I think we said that yeah. when this was first mooted and what we were surprised about when it was first mooted was that where is the broadcast partner? Sky Sports took their position because like great godfathers in great families, they go, well, you know, <laughs> you, don't, you don't do something like this without going through us. That's one of the reasons why they were so affronted by it is because they weren't consulted. And so if you want to do something like that, then find a broadcast partner who's willing to add some legitimacy to it. You don't need the fan support. I hate to say it, but you don't. You just need a broadcast partner who can then help you win your battles against the fans. I mean, that, that's wrong. It's all manner of wrong. But it is, I think, the reality of modern football. At the Club World Cup, um, this is a tournament that nobody really asked for. <laughs> bit, bit like Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Something that nobody really asked for, but I gave it three stars anyway. Um, well, I think it will be fun to watch. I think that there's a potential for it to be extremely successful if they sell tickets and they have big enthusiastic crowds there. An opportunity for, you know, particularly like, for example, lots and lots of fans in North America who have, are big fans of European clubs and big fans of South American clubs and Mexican clubs and Central American clubs to congregate in the US to watch this tournament. I think that that, that would be great for a lot those fans. If you're, you're a like a you know a Liverpool fan and there's lots of them the opportunity you know to go and watch a team in watch your team play in a competitive fixture is something that they would previously would have been something that they would have had to have paid an awful lot of money to have done and travelled all the way over to England to do you know the reason why these clubs go over to America in the first place is because they've got big followings there but they're only playing friendly warm up games now they're playing competitive fixtures if that can be translated over onto the pitch and assuming, of course, that everyone buys into the fact that there's quite a lot of prize money coming into this and so it's a competition that's going to be worth your while to win, then I think that it could be um, a successful competition and it's another summer tournament. It's basically the successor to the Confederations Cup 
Uh, it's a more expensive, bigger tournament than the Federations Cup, but that's where it sits in the calendar. I think that there are concerns about player uh, fitness, to be honest with you. I understand what you say, Jan, but I think the difference is, is that those friendly games were that they're friendly, they're warm-up tournament becomes you're asking players to come in hot again. Sometimes some of these players will be coming in hot into a summer tournament for three out of four the last four years. That's putting a lot of pressure, I think, on a player, and I think it will take its toll. But that aside, I do feel it's a tournament that's actually something to get excited about. If I may pour some scorn on things, the Intercontinental Cup, of course, which is the forerunner of the World Club Cup, which as we knew it, the one that we just had in December, that used to be that two-legged tournament between the Copa Libertadores winner and the Champions League winner. That's still actually going to happen. There's going to be an alter- another competition that's going to have the the Champions League winner, the, U- the UEFA Champions League winner, and then the winner of a playoff with the Copa Libertadores and I think the Camp- CONCACAF Champions Cup winner and, and, and all of that as well going on. So that it's not really replacing the Club World Cup. It's just taking the name of the Club World Cup and then the Club World Cup's going to be called something else. It will be significantly pared down, it should be said. So, you know, I just want to just make that clear. That, you know, this is an opportunity you know, that they are, you know, FIFA are taking their opportunity to keep their mitts in the club game as much as possible because because they want to because they know how valuable that the club game is and they want to expand it and it's great for FIFA because the money that's going to be coming in the sponsorship deals they'll be able to do for their summer tournaments that's going to go out they'll make so much more money on on the back of this um, and I'm of the view that it is a, it's more likely to be a success than a failure. The one thing as well, apart from the fact that it's too much football and all that, for me <laughs> is that. They say it's a summer tournament, but the World Cup's a summer tournament, and we know that doesn't always happen. And going forward, we can already see that 2034 will probably not be happening in July. So how long is it going to be before this Club World Cup is happening in November or January? Yeah, I'd say in eight or so years' time. (laughs) Because if it's also acting as a dress rehearsal, like the Confederations Cup did. Yeah. And so it's held at the hosts of the forthcoming World Cup. Then the 2023 Club World Cup will be held in Saudi Arabia and will inevitably be held in the wintertime. Yeah. But this is where it's going. Yeah. And the reasoning behind it is based upon money, based upon power, and based upon reasons that are unwholesome and contrary to football's values. But there also the reality is, is that the game is now truly global and football tournaments will be held in parts of the world where you can't play in the summertime and you have the right. Nobody, any, anybody who says the Africa Cup of Nations should be held in the summertime is a doofus because it's excluding so many countries from hosting that tournament. Yeah. It is held in January because it must. OK, that is a perfectly cromulent reason for doing that. Now, the reason for holding holding a tournament in Qatar in December is based upon money and based upon power. And these are the wrong reasons for doing it. But it doesn't necessarily render that illegitimate in general. And it's something that we have to accept um, as football fans and find good reasons 
for countering those arguments that are not just based on the fact that it's inconvenient. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be easy, wouldn't it, Jan, for us to say, well, FIFA should just not do business with Saudi Arabia or the Qataris, and they should just go back to traditional 16-team World Cups that that any country could host, and, and everyone would be happy, and we'd have lovely traditional football, and nothing would be a problem. But someone else would come along and say, well, we'll be the new FIFA, and yeah, we'll happily jump into bed with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what would happen. This is uh, once every four years, isn't it? The Club World Cup. Yes. I think what is interesting about this is that the bald FIFA guy has, he tried to to push the World Cup to happen every two years, didn't he? Well, I mean, it was was mooted, wasn't it? It it was shot down fairly quickly. (laughs) Well spotted, Um, yes. But I wonder whether, (laughs) you know, this this is another competition and if it takes off where that conversation is going to happen again. And I think that to the, you know Terry's point that it is football is truly global now that I and we talked about this many many years ago and I still think that there is the chance that the European Super League that we're talking about and could end up being something a lot bigger than that and having some kind of world league um if you like and I think that maybe the club world cup is a step towards that and and I'm I'm not quite sure whether I think that's a good thing or a bad thing you know, it would be brilliant to see some of the, the teams from Brazil and Argentina regularly um, without having to get up in the middle of the night. You know, if there was a tournament in Europe, for example, or even in the Middle East in the middle of the winter, there's clearly a market for it. There's a desire for it, I think, from fans as well. I, I looked at that and, as both of you guys did and went, well, actually, that was something I'd probably watch and I'd probably be interested in. It's not, they're not trying to rehash something that already exists to make more money out of it, like the European Super League. This is new and fresh, all right? And, and they've got great, and FIFA have got great experience administering and um, putting on brilliant World Cup tournaments. And if they can give the same exposure that they do to national sides, to club sides, then there's no reason why it shouldn't be a success and that people shouldn't enjoy it. Yeah, but that's that's the real trick, though, isn't it? Because club football isn't international football. International football brings everyone in. Club football, that's a little bit more parochial, isn't it? So it's a different beast, and I don't think it will have that same lure. Uh, even a summer tournament, a summer tournament with Chelsea and Man City playing in the USA somewhere like that, I'm not going to be getting up in the middle of the night to watch that. I won't have that interest. It's not going to be like England playing there. Not no, but it me. may it me. may it may bring about different ways of consuming it though. It, it might do. Um, I'm sure there will be plenty of people who will enjoy it and 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 will actually stump up a load of sponsorship for it. But you're stepping into uncharted territory, and you know I'm sure there's plenty of people listening who are surprised and saying, "Well, look, no, this is an abhorrent idea. This is completely anti-football." But it's not. It's it's exactly what football's all about. Anyone who doesn't realise that just really hasn't been paying attention. I don't think. We're blessed with some of the best footballers that you see now. The standard of professionalism is amazing in football. The quality of the game is through the roof. And this is all paid for by huge amounts of investment and a great deal of money. But alongside of that is, yeah, is the the proliferation of different tournaments and different ways of finding a way to extract money from from fans, broadcasters and sponsors. Um, And it's all part of that. You have to take the rough with the smooth that things like this will come along. I mean, I think... That if you're going to do something like this, then basing it on a summer tournament does seem sensible. Like I said, I don't think there are two, there might be a few sort of like anoraks who listen to the world football phone in who might have thought that this was a good idea and that we should do it. But I think most people really wouldn't have thought that this is a good idea. But nevertheless, that doesn't mean I don't think it is going to be watchable. The format will work and it may surprise people. 
key thing again, going back to television, who's going to be broadcasting it? Here in the UK, for example, the international summer tournaments are protected. They must be on free-to-air television. I would be surprised if that extended to this new tournament. So here in the UK, we may well have to pay for it. And that will change things as well. Who will acquire the rights? How much will they charge? What happens if an English club gets the final? Will it go out free-to-air? You know, all of that stuff. Yeah, I think you can see as well from the way that the Women's World Cup, how late that was left for a TV deal from the domestic broadcasters. The negotiations between FIFA and the free-to-air broadcasters may not be as straightforward as they have been in the past when they just bundled everything together and just had one negotiation. Mm. Yeah, interesting times ahead, but you'd be a brave man to guess how we're going to be watching telly in five years' time, let alone ten years' time. Yes. But I mean, no, I will, all I would say is don't be at all surprised if that tournament ends up on DAZN and no one watches it here. Yeah. Or Apple do a global deal for it or something like that. Oh, that's unlikely. DAZN is more likely. That, that we're Sky going, well, how much is this really worth? Summertime? Well, we've got tons of sport on. Do we really, how much is this going to cost us? And then while they're sitting around going, mm, I don't know, DAZN will go, well, we'll give you like a stupid amount of money. And they go, there you go. And I can totally see that happening, in which case this whole conversation is moot because no one on this podcast will be watching it or listening to it, I suspect. Yeah, or it'll end up on Triller. Or it'll end up on Triller. With the Asia Cup. Triller now. Yeah. That's who's covering it in the UK. If you want to watch the Asia Cup, then you have to watch it on Triller, which was Fight TV, I think it was. But Sky have picked up the Africa Cup of Nations, which is good because that means we can all sit back and watch good tournament football over the next month. Starting this weekend, yes, Saturday night, Ivory Coast versus Guinea-Bissau kicks off Group A in the uh, Cup of Nations. I'll be consuming quite a lot of that, I think. Well, how about you, Terry? Yeah, well, you know, me and international tournaments, I love an international tournament. Yeah, I've, I've been an avid viewer of, of AFCON for some years now, and uh, that's not going to change. So I've, I've not um, uh, studied it. I'm really going to allow it to wash over me. Uh, but that's fine. I'm looking forward to that happening too. Well, we've got two games, both of the Group A openers, Ivory Coast versus Guinea-Bissau and Nigeria versus Equatorial Guinea. They'll be in the box set this weekend, so you'll read our write-ups about that. There's also the return of the Bundesliga. It should be an emotional occasion on Friday night. Bayern Munich, when they restart the season uh, in a home game against Hoffenheim, shouldn't it, Terry? Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be poignant, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, extraordinary timing about these things, isn't it? It's just absolutely amazing. Yeah, because it's, it's the return of the Bundesliga. And yeah, Bayern Munich on the Friday game, you know, leading leading out the rest of, of the clubs, no doubt in tribute. I, I wonder whether or not there'll be any tributes here in England, because I do feel that the Kaiser was was a, a highly respected everywhere. Uh, but I also think particularly in England, and perhaps as an advers- as a great adversary, but nevertheless as a great man and a great footballer. So, hmm. Interesting. Indeed. Well said, well said. Well, if you want to see what we go for in our box set this weekend, then get along to sofpodcast.com. Click on the link for the weekend box set and subscribe. It looks slightly different now because we've moved uh, provider because Tiny Letter is no more and we're now on Substack. Uh, yeah, no, it shouldn't be any, any difference. And if, if you were on it before, you should have transferred smoothly over to the new one. Hopefully so. Yeah, seven games for you to watch between Friday and Sunday. So, yeah, if you're not already, then get on board. But that is all we have time for this week. So from me, Graham Sibley, from Yam Gilton, and from Terry Fellin, it's goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
are at Sound of Football on X, Blue Sky and Instagram. So feel free to get in touch there or head to our website, sofpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us. Good pod, that, lads. Good one to start the year. Did, and, um, nobody wanted to talk about the FA Cup anyway, did they? No, I didn't. Yeah. No, no, I don't. No. No. No, I mean, I guess I kind of did, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, let's yeah. be honest. It's all over <laughs> for all of us for yeah. another year. Never mind, eh? There's always next year. Yes, there is. When it will be a summer tournament in Saudi Arabia. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, but half the television revenue will be going to grassroots football, Graham. No, really, it will. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's how it works now. Indeed. Isn't it?